Since we've started this podcast like uh, 40 minutes ago, I have gone in and out of believing in reincarnation like four to five times. <laughs> Welcome to Signal, the podcast that raises your frequency. I'm Maury Fontanez. And I'm Melissa Grushka. Today, we're going to talk about reincarnation. You know, you're ready to visit your past lives always and every day. What's up, Melissa Grushka? Ew, don't say that. Say my <laughs> real name. I did it. Every time I say Melissa, you get so upset. It, even when you text it or email it, I'm like, who? That's not me. Yesterday, I went to text you and I wrote, ha, 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 but it spelled autocorrected to Hannah. And you responded, I'm Melissa. But I didn't realize I had written Hannah. So I was like, why is she telling me her name? Because I called you Hannah. I'm just going to call you Hannah. Uh, <laughs> all right. Anyway. Cough. Excuse my cough. It's my cringe moment. Do you have a little cold going it's on? It's not really. It's just like a cough. It's just some gross cough. My kids have it. It's gross. It's fine. I'm so but sorry. I do have something delightful that's better oh. than my cringy cough. Would you like me to share it? Yes. Okay. So <laughs> um, we did a belated birthday celebration for my middle, and we Lately. went to this really cute little farm that like rescues all these animals, and we got to cuddle with a baby cow whose sister was very sick. So she was lonely because she was born with a sister who immediately was like taken away and they didn't know if she was going to make it. So she was super depressed. So we like were cuddling and holding her. And then we went over next door and there were little baby goats and little baby pigs that just climb in your lap and love on you. It's really the, it's like the boost we all need in life. It truly is. That is is. really cute. Did the kid love it? Yeah, it was super adorable. Did you stink when you left? Not so bad. I mean, we did go to a restaurant after and I felt a little dirty, but it wasn't so bad. We came home and jumped in the shower. It wasn't too bad. What does a depressed cow act like? Depressed. Kind of Mm. like a depressed human, like Mm. sitting in the corner, literally in the corner, wouldn't lift her head up. But then at one point she did while another friend of mine was also with us. She like lifted her head up onto my friend. You could see she just really needed some love but we did get good news this week we saw that her sister is actually doing much better and i think she was able to visit with her sister just so exciting how are you getting updates on these cows my friend follows the farm on facebook or something oh i see okay yeah well good that's a very happy ending you know what i'm gonna give a quick shout out how about rosebridge farm it's in dresher pennsylvania Because I think they do fundraising, too, to help with these cute little animals. They had, like, a little rescue kitten area. They had some little piggies. They had camels. Camels? In Pennsylvania? That's weird. That's silly. Rescue camels? Where are they rescuing them from? they're rescued or, like, I don't know. Who knows? These silly gooses out here owning camels. We'll put their link in the show notes if anyone yes. is interested in supporting them. That's yes. really sweet. That actually, when you say camels, reminds me of we were one time driving with all four kids from Yosemite to Monterey and yeah. going through like the farmland of California. And, you know, you see horses, cows, horses, sheep. And all of a sudden there was a zebra in the <gasps> middle of a ranch. Ooh. A zebra. Is that not it's weird? Shocking. It was very odd. Sometimes you see the random um, ostrich farm out here. Oh, I love that. I know. It's cool. Your face looked nauseated when you talked about ostriches. Well, that actually is a good transition to my cringe moment. Oh, please. I got a cringe for you. Please. I'm getting my nails done with Raina yesterday, and she always does this face when she's imitating me, where (gasps) she 
purses out her lips. She raises her eyebrows and she flares her nostrils. So it's like why? a, Ooh, it's kind of like though? a, like a baby Zoolander. I don't know. So I she says, I make this face all the time. So every time she wants to like impersonate me, she goes like this. <gasps> and for you guys that can't see, I'm making a Zoolander face. And I was like, Raina, I don't understand. Like, when do I do that? And she goes, like, for example, on your podcast, on your Instagram reels, you'll be laughing at something Bean says. And then all of a sudden, you'll just stop laughing and make the face. It's almost like you got too silly and you had to lock in. Wow. I need to see this face now. I know. We need to watch her this face. But the fact that she said, you got too silly and you had to lock in. I was like, damn, you are watching me closely. So my cringe goes back to my faces again. I make weird faces and I'm being confronted by it, by my daughter. There was an intervention. Well, my new delight is that I bring the silly out of you. Mm-hmm. And that so much so that you have to lock it back in. But I have to lock it back in. I can't let myself be too silly. That's what I think what I heard her say is like you can't let yourself just be. Yeah. You have to get it together again. And yeah. I think that made me feel a little cringy. Like, yeah. oh, ew. Is that true? That's what I gathered from it as well. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I don't oh. know. Anyway. There you there you go. Um, See you guys so, later. That's all we got for you today. <laughs> Do you want to talk about reincarnation and past lives this week, Bean? Do you? Hey, do you want to talk about reincarnation? I feel like this was a you episode more than anything. This was a me episode. However, I do have audio evidence of you requesting this episode. Do you even recall? This is like asking Dory to recall what happened five minutes ago. I did? Uh, Yes. When? During our spooky season... Yeah. We did an episode oh. on Unsolved Mysteries, mm. and I talked about these twins the that were born, the sisters, and you said, we should do an episode on reincarnation. And I was like, and yes. Yes. So Angela Mangela, but not. Angela Mangela. <laughs> um, wow. Yes. Those yeah. sisters creeped me out. All right. Well, now we're going to talk fully about what they claimed happened to them, which is that they were reborn as previous sisters that the same parents had. But we're not going to talk about that story. We're going to talk about the concept of reincarnation and past lives. And the reason that I really wanted to do this episode is because I think that we don't talk enough about other experiences that could have affected our consciousness Consciousness is going to come up a lot in this episode that could shape the way we react to our current life circumstances. And I think that when I started to understand on my own spiritual journey, the concept of our consciousness having other experiences outside of this body Mm -hmm. and how it could affect our beliefs in this lifetime. So let's say, for example, let's say that you have a fear of being without resources, being without money in this lifetime. But when you look back at your life, there's no evidence of that in your lifetime. You grew up comfortable. That's an example of where there could be an experience in your consciousness from another lifetime, in my belief, that has an effect on this lifetime. And if we could understand how these things knit together and weave together, we can actually heal a lot of the things that cause us to suffer a lot faster. I think we're too focused on just the same way that I think Western medicine is too focused on the body not being 
connected right. and the eastern medicine is like these are a series of organs that are connected also to your right. energy it's a system yeah it's a system i think our soul is also a system that um ha- brings with it a lot of ideas and baggage and experiences and that if we understood past lives a little bit better we might be able to heal the things that ail us emotionally psychologically uh currently what for a little more clarity one of the examples they did give during some of the research was people who they feel um died in a violent manner in a past life like drowned or something uh, in their current life will have some unusual fear of like water that they have no reason right. to have the fear of, that they carry it with them. Right. I have a story to tell you about someone who Ooh. I consulted. And I want to talk about him actually. Maybe we talk about him now. So okay, I really love this man, author, <laughs> medium. Is named this a romantic Ainsley. confession? It's not, it's not romantic. <laughs> um. His name is Ainsley McLeod. He's written the book called The Instruction. He's literally, if you Google him, guys, he's been on Oprah. He's been on Ellen. He's been everywhere because his book has been so, uh, I think, groundbreaking. I think he does the best job at explaining why we would reincarnate and why we, the soul takes different lifetimes. So I saw him, I think, in a super soul conversation with Oprah or he was on the Oprah Winfrey show. I can't remember, but I became obsessed with this man. Like I have to find a way to talk to him. I'm such a seeker. Like, you know, anytime I can find a healer to talk to, I will go and do it. Yeah. And so I reached out to them. It was a year and a half long wait list to talk to him. I'm like, I'm getting on the wait list. I don't care. Now I want on. (laughs) Well, it's even longer now. This was, I think this was, I looked this up yesterday when I was getting ready for this. This was six or seven years ago. Oh, wow. So I get on his wait list and nine months later, out of the blue, I get an email that's like, hey, Ainsley's schedule has opened up tomorrow. Do you want to talk (gasps) to him tomorrow? So I'm like, yes. Hells yes. So I get super like excited, so excited Mm -hmm. I can't sleep. And before I tell you the rest of the story, I want to tell you about his book, The Instruction, which I read. So Ainsley has written this book, The Instruction, that lays out a system, as I said, for the soul. And what he says is that he um, realized when he was in his early, early 20s that he was using drugs and alcohol to numb something that was making him feel very out of his mind. And what he realized was that this thing that makes him feel out of his mind is that he's a channel. He's a medium. He's open to other things. And because we don't have language, like we in the Raya episode talked about, we aren't educated about this. So if it's happening to you, you don't know that it's a gift. You think it's a curse. And so you find ways to numb it. And so in his book, he writes about how he, uh, in his early 20s, goes to a library. And in the library, he around the corner runs into his uncle and his uncle who's passed away starts to just explain to him that he's got a life's purpose and that he needs Mm -hmm. to focus on that purpose. And that purpose requires him to have clarity of mind and body. And so he, this experience is so life altering that he stops drinking and he stops numbing himself and he starts to tune in. And as he starts to tune in, he realizes that he can talk to soul guides souls that are out there that guide human beings. And he channels this whole concept of soul types and soul age. And what he – oh, your hand is going up. Am I going is too Is a soul guide the same thing as a spirit guide for my 
knowledge mm -hmm. because I'm not well versed in this arena. Yes. Yes. Okay. So a soul guide, a spirit guide are entities on the other side. They can be loved ones and ancestors that have passed away. They can also be entities that never took a human form. Ooh. So angels, um, other kinds of guides, gods, goddesses, whatever, you know, all of the collective belief that you have. Um, but some guides that are on the other side connected to divine wisdom. Got it. Okay. So he channels this system that basically he's told that the soul takes the human body to have tangible experience so it can expand. I believe in that. We've talked about that a hundred times. Right. So the only way that a soul can grow is through tangible experience. The only way to do that is on this plane in the human body. Okay. But as it has these experiences, it begins to develop karma, which we're going to talk about. Hinduism also talks about, and that's why the theory of reincarnation in Hinduism is so um, prominent is because it's about resolving karma. But as the soul is in the body resolving these experiences, uh, it starts to develop karma. They've done things that they want to correct, or they didn't learn a certain lesson, or they didn't expand in a certain way. So when that body dies, the soul then chooses their next experience that they want to have. They manifest in that body and they continue to grow through different experiences. And as the soul does that, it increases in age. And okay. so the system that Ainsley has is level one through level 10. Mm. Levels one through three are very young souls. They haven't had a lot of lifetimes. And the way he describes it that I think is so interesting is this is not a judgment call. It doesn't mean that a level three soul is less valuable than a level 10 soul. Right. It just means this is how often it's been around. And he talks about attributes of younger souls. Like they like to be in smaller communities. They like organized things that tell them how to think about the world because the world is so new that to, to these souls that they need a level of um, process and organization and being told by others how to think about the world. So for example, he says people who are very devout to an organized religion are level three or level four souls. And one of the things he says is that just to show you how there's no judgment or label, Mother Teresa, for example, is a level four soul wow. because she is, you know, attached to that religion and that religion defines her way of viewing the world. But as the soul comes back and has more and more experiences and becomes an older soul, it becomes totally awakened to this concept and this system and this idea that it's been around for a while and therefore less needing of others to define the world for it but that it can begin to define the world. So when you see seekers, spiritualists, people out there that are creating new theories, new paradigms, new ways of thinking, these are older souls because they're able to understand the world that they've lived in so many lifetimes in a way that allows them to do that without fear. Do you have a theory as to what level soul you are? He told me in my reading. Oh, snap. Do you have a theory as to what level soul I am? I don't. I'd like you to think on it, please. Okay, I will. Okay. So the other thing that he talks about in this book is that there are soul types as well. These are the personality traits that your soul takes on to um, live out their purpose in the way that the personality traits will allow them to do. Actually, you want me to tell you what the soul types are? Oh, yeah, please. Okay. There are nine. There's the caregiver, <gasps> okay. the creator, the educator, the helper, 
the hunter, the leader, the performer, the spiritualist, the thinker. This is giving me personality test vibes. Totally. And there is a soul, soul type quiz <gasps> on Ainsley's website that we will link to in the yeah, show Yeah, I was going to say. And you should that, take it. Put that sugar in there. Yeah, I will. Yeah. I'm doing it okay, right so after this. I had, I had read Ainsley's book. I was super aligned with a lot of the things he had to say. I specifically thought what he was talking about around older souls and the experiences they have and the way that they can walk the world really resonated with me. Um, you know, he helped me reframe the idea of being a rebel. I was always told you're too much of a rebel, but I started to realize, no, maybe it's because some of us that are called rebels or the black sheep are actually meant to rewrite systems that aren't really solving okay. things for the world anymore. So Super excited to meet him. I get this phone call or this email and I can't sleep. I'm so excited. And as I'm like awake at five in the morning waiting for this session that's at 11, I get this thought or this intuition that's like, hey, just put a question out there in your heart, in your head. Just put a question out there and go to sleep. So the question I asked this is seven years ago is, am I going to write a book? I really want to write a book. Am I going to write a book? So I go to sleep and it's time for the session get on with him on the phone, not a Zoom or anything. And he he has this lovely Scottish accent. He lives in Vancouver. Ooh, very fun. He gets on the phone. He's super lovely. And he's like, okay, before I even start, I just have to tell you very early, the guides started rushing in with information on you today. And I was oh, like, great. okay, perfect. And he's like, your purpose in this lifetime is to help be an authority. And yeah. the root word of authority is author. Wow. Right out the gate. He's like, so I don't know if you've written a book or you're writing books, but there are going to be books with an <gasps> S and you will be writing books. I'm so proud of you. It's the first thing he said. I am so proud of you because you're living it out. And now I've written a book. I know. It's so, so beautiful. Anyway, right right away, obviously I have chills because I'm like, how could, I mean, I put yeah. that out to the universe and it's the first yeah. thing he's like, I was early rushed in with messages. Well, I'm like, sorry, I woke you up because I was thinking about this at 5 a.m. Um, anyway, so we have this really great reading. He asks me if I have an attachment to Paris, which I have a deep attachment to. Oh, I love it know. so much. Yeah. You know. Um, and when I've been to Paris with friends or people who live there, they're always like, you seem so comfortable. How do you know your way around? How do you feel so comfortable here? Never could explain that to you. Right. Um, but it just feels like some place that I know. It feels really familiar to me. Right. And he told me that my last pertinent life was in Paris. No fucking way. Yes. In the 30s. He also in said- In the 30s? In the 30s. Oh, that's fighting super the good fun. Fight. Oh, yeah. hell yeah, you are. Um, I totally said, see that for you. He asked me if I have this sense of constant guilt that has to do with my two kids, that I constantly want to be there all the time and make sure I'm like really almost stretching myself to be there for them in a way that like doesn't make sense. And I'm like, yeah, I always feel like it's not enough. Like I'm not there enough, even though I'm around them constantly. Um, and I said to him, I laughed. I said, it's so funny. I've been waiting nine months to talk to you and I have to end this call early because I'm volunteering at my son's class. Oh. That's the way that I will right? make those sacrifices. And he's like, correct, because these two souls were your kids then too. No way. And you were out and about on the Paris scene a lot <gasps> talking to all of these intellectuals about what was happening, you know, how, what was happening in Europe at the time. Right. And oh, we know what was happening fighting in Europe. 
against that kind of thinking. And so you were always out and then you were actually caught and you were executed for no! your role in, res in the resistance. I know. And so your soul has this fear of leaving these kids again. And these, your son, he said, does he feel like, do you feel like he always wants and needs you around? I'm like, yeah, he's like, his soul has the fear of losing you again. And so this lifetime is partially about healing that karma with each other. Oh, it was beautiful. That is really yeah. beautiful. I don't know how I've never heard this story. Or maybe I'm I have. I'm pretty sure you've heard this story. Well, it doesn't even <laughs> feel at all familiar, but it sounds super beautiful. It's really beautiful. And it was super healing. Um, and then he told me my soul type. He said, I'm predominantly a spiritualist with a performer influence, which I was Ooh, like, yeah, that, that totally makes sense. makes sense to me. Um, and then he told me my soul age. Which is? He said, I am 80% into level 10. Oh, shit. You are which maximum. That I may be done after this. Oh, no. I'm not living another oh, lifetime no. without I you. Know. <laughs> I knew you were going to say that. Um, yeah. Wait, that can't really? be – because now after you're saying it all, I've decided just now that I have to be somewhere in the middle. I'm like – I'm probably like a 5'6 would be my guess. I don't think you're a 5'6. You think I'm lower? No. I think you're fucking I think, lower. No, I don't. <laughs> I think that you are higher than that. And I think you wouldn't be so open to seeking and doing this podcast and having this conversation if you weren't a little bit of an older soul. I think that I'm on this weird – I, this is the first time I've ever even been open to believing in anything that we talk about. So I think I'm like, this level of openness is showing that I'm ready to learn and grow, which makes me think yeah. I'm in the middle. If this is even real, I'm not going to lie to you. <laughs> totally. If I, we're considering this to that. be real, yeah. then I would believe that I would be in the middle. Well, I highly recommend if you can get on Ainsley's wait list and afford it. It's pretty expensive. Um, it is really life-changing. TJ wow. went and did it. He did? Um, almost every member of my family went uh -uh. and did it afterward. Yeah, it's been really life-changing for everybody. I'm doing it. spoken to him. Yeah. And I'm writing it off as a business expense. Thank you. Okay, great. Um, <laughs> so you should, actually. There you go. Yes. No, don't talk about it on the podcast. Why? The business expenses you're writing off. Oh, I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, but we will link to Ainsley's soul type quiz and you can learn more about Ainsley. I just also have to say, I really do use this concept in my method as a right. coach a lot. Did where, you, yeah, sorry. No, you go ahead. I was going to say, did you, was this even um, in your thinking, but prior to meeting with Ainsley, was this like, did you already know about soul levels and? Yes. Soul levels, no. I think the system wasn't in my thinking before meeting Ainsley, but I did absolutely believe in past lives and I believed in older souls and I believed when I met someone, I could tell if they were an older soul or not. You know when you meet someone and you feel like, I just know you? Yeah, you. You know that feeling? Yeah, when I met you. It's because you've had past lifetimes together. I really believe that. There is just something in your soul that recognizes the other soul and you come into each other's lives again to resolve karma, to continue the adventure, to do whatever it is you've kind of, your souls have made a contract to do. Wait, I don't understand why you're level 10 and you're about to be out. And then what about me? I have to finish all these goddamn levels without you. I don't want to be without you. I'll be a spirit guide on the other side. Okay, be. Bean, do this. Bean, don't wear that outfit. It's bad. <laughs> 
that that would be you my level stupid. of guidance. Yeah. You're so right. I'll be a fashion spirit guide. Need your shirt. <laughs> um. Anyway, that's my reason for wanting to yeah. talk about this, but also I just wanted to come out the gate and be really honest about how yeah. much I genuinely believe in yeah. this and that I use it in my method. And I will just say, and I'm getting a little nervous to say this out loud Ooh. because I'm still getting over my own fear of admitting my own intuitive gifts. Right. So support me here. I do. Um, that I also can detect people's past lives in sessions where I will get shown information like a memory that just doesn't make sense to this lifetime and I'll bring it up and we'll do a, a meditation, a visitation. You and I have done this and it'll be say. really unlocking to the person. Like they'll be like, wow, I never understood why I had this fear of losing my child until you we just had that lifetime show up and this person went through that experience. Um, I have a really solid example that I'll share and I hope that my um, – lovely contributor doesn't mind. So I got matched with or met this really beautiful writer named Kelsey who um, helped me edit the book as I was writing it. So right. she'd received the chapters and edit them before we'd even turn them over. And I was in her kitchen in LA a couple of months ago and we were finalizing the chapters and we're sitting in her house and I just feel this like energy coming from the left side of my body. And I'm like, okay, I'm going to tap in. And it was interesting because Kelsey kept saying to me, you're not being honest enough in this book about who you are and what your gifts are. Right. And she's like, I can just sense it. And it's true. I, the first pass at it, I had the same fear of being honest of my intuitive gifts. Yeah. And so I think that I, part of it happened to show Kelsey actually what is possible with me. That's why I think it came through so strongly. But we're talking and I just, out of the blue, I'm like, Kelsey, I just have to ask you a question. There is a woman from another lifetime showing up here. She is, lives somewhere in England. It's something like the late 1800s, early 1900s. She is single. She lives in a cottage that looks a lot like this. And she's a writer. And she's showing me that you know what I'm talking about because you've been really fascinated by her and you've been reading a biography around her. Or you've been reading about her. And when I tell you, I looked at her and her jaw was on the floor. She's like, yeah, I've been reading a biography about this author who's a female who rode horses, who lived in, I don't even now remember, like the very late 1800s, early 1900s and was a writer. I always want to believe because I'm so open to it now, but my brain automatically goes to like, you subconsciously saw a book in her house and you somehow knew about that book. And then you were able to pull details like that. What does it look slash feel like? We won't get too deep into this, but when you feel like, how do you pinpoint that it's a woman from the 1800s? Do you physically it's, see her? Is it a no, sense no, no. It's almost like it's like a memory. I just get like, it's like I get shown a memory. It feels like it's my memory, but I'm like, then I'm looking at it. I'm like, you're dressed in a way that doesn't look like right now. Right. Now, I will tell you, this is a writer. So she's got thousands of books everywhere. Right. So, so it's not like- Pinpoint one. Right. Um, yeah. I don't know. I mean, I think that the cynicism will always be there. And I want to be honest, it exists in me too. Like when I say things like this out loud, I do have right. a moment of like, come on, which is oh, why it do? takes me so, yeah, which is why it takes me so long to say it out loud even because even my own brain has been trained to be like, because you can't see it, it's not real. Which and I just think problem. that's, it's so limiting. And so I've had to learn how to 
say these things out loud. And in fact, she told me later, she's like, you know, you telling me that made me really think about how I need to be writing my own stuff. Oh, really? Yeah. And like how that's why you got that visitation or that memory come back is like that this woman is like, hey, you're a writer. That's your purpose in this lifetime. Let's get your stuff out there, which how I think has a purpose to it. I need you to do this for me. I need you to tell me who's standing next to me. I need you to tell me what they're saying and what my purpose is. I don't know how I feel about all of this. I think that when you say it, I'm like completely convinced. I'm like, yes, this is all happening. But when I'm sitting there, I have that problem of if it's not tangible, if it's like, it's hard for me to believe and my mind automatically goes to whatever tricks your brain can play on you because it can play a lot of tricks on you. But then I read these stories like I read – in preparation for this episode, I read a handful of um, reincarnation stories, and you're like, yeah. "What?" When they, when you read them, you're like, "No way! Like, no way! This has to be real." Are you going to tell us a story later? Yeah, I would love to. Okay. Do you want yeah. So I want to hear more about what you think about past lives. Like, that's what I'm saying. I, I don't know what I think. Like, if you ask me on a at a random moment, I would probably say, "I don't know. I don't think so." Yeah. Um, I do have those moments though, where there's like, I meet someone and I swear I've known you or I've been somewhere and I swear I I'm familiar. It's, it's more than deja vu. It's like a familiarity with something like a, like a, like, I just know this. I just, I don't know. And, and I think I mentioned this before, like, I don't know how, but I knew my son was coming. Yeah. when I had him like, I didn't, we weren't even planning to have a third child, but like, I just felt like I knew it was a knowing. It was like a very comfortable knowing like he's coming. Um, so I sometimes I have moments in my life where I'm like, there is something to all of this soul stuff and, you know, things that are just outside of our physical being. Yeah. Then I have moments where I'm like, what? This cannot be right. Like when you're telling yeah. me that, I'm like, what? That's amazing. But then I step back and I'm like, what? Yeah. How is that possible? How is that possible? I even yeah. – I think I've referenced this a few times on the pod when – when you first started getting more spiritual, you wouldn't share it with me and you would tell me right. everything. But because you knew my brain was just not in a space where I would be open to it at all, I don't know what shifted for me. I think life has just been so unpredictable that you're like, well, I guess I might as well be open to any possibility. Yes. I think that it's, I mean, there's statistics out there showing that more and more people are seeking this kind of, <clears throat> these kinds of answers. Because life is just getting more complicated and harder. And I think people are more open to there's got to be a why. What is the purpose of all of this complexity and suffering and pain? And I think people are more open to. And I do think that if you think about things through a system of past lives, then some of the stuff does start to fall in place and make sense around, you know, completing karma or coming back to learn a different thing. And I think, you know, one of the most beautiful things I've read in a lot of actual books by healers and spiritualists and philosophers is that we've all been everything. We've all been the lover. We've been the murderer. We've been the child. We've been the mother. We've been the um, oh, really? the thief. We've been robbed. We've been everything in all of these lifetimes, which allows us to have a level of um, deep soul empathy for souls figuring it out in these bodies in this lifetime if we are open to it instead of judgment. Then how can you be a soul type? Remember you were saying there are soul types like 
Is it your current? Yeah, so what your current yeah. type is? Oh, Ainsley says you you choose your soul chooses these types in order to live out the purpose that it is going to live out in this lifetime. What's my soul type? Your soul. What do you? What think? do I think your soul type is? Yeah, pull that list back up. Go back I see you list. clicking around over there. I am. I think you are caregiver. Oh, I like that. Thanks. And I feel that. I think that you're also, um, well, there's caregiver and helper. Those feel too similar. I, I think do, you're but caregiver. I think caregiver makes more sense. And I keep getting drawn to thinker. Ooh, I would never have been drawn to that. Love. Yeah, I'm drawn to thinker for you. Anyway, wow. t- I don't know. Go take the quiz and let us know. Yeah, I think I definitely will. Anyway, back to how I feel about it. I just don't know. Um, I did like reading about all the different cultures and how everybody also has their own perspective, just like I have my own perspective. Um, I think you mentioned it before that it's not that it's definitely a more central theme in like the Eastern religions. Yeah. Um, Hinduism, you mentioned Buddhism, Jainism, Sikhism, they all definitely focus on reincarnation in their own way. Like Hinduism, like you were talking about, which is the concept of karma, which I can say I do really like to get behind because even if it's not true for some reason, this idea that what you put out is what you will receive back is kind of a beautiful way to live so that people try to do their best if they want to receive the best. Yeah. You know what I mean? So I I, I get behind that, Hindus. Um, Buddhism, reincarnation is a huge major theme in Buddhism, and they are more focused on the suffering, the the process, the cycle of suffering and enlightenment, suffering and enlightenment. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't, which I did not know before as a Jew, as I've also mentioned, um, it's not a prominent theme in a lot of Judaism, but there are some more yes. modern sects who are believing in reincarnation. There's ancient sects. And ancient sects. It's hard yeah. to say sects. 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 Um, <laughs> ancient, but also newer versions. Because I would have told you if you asked me if I hadn't researched, I would have said no way Jews believe in that. But hi Well, because Western religions are all about linear. There's one God. There's heaven. There's yeah. hell. There's yeah. Or paradise. You know, Islam, Christianity, I Judaism say, is all about God. this kind of rigid, linear yeah way of thinking about God and your soul and your soul going to a place that then it lives in eternity based on your actions in this lifetime, which I think also has something to do with control of society to make sure that there's something you fear or you're aiming towards as a human. Uh, So yeah, Western religions absolutely, I think, reject this concept as a whole because it goes against the idea of you don't get another chance. Be good. You are correct. Right? That was my yeah. next point was that Christianity and Islam do not believe it. There are like a small sect of the, <laughs> these religions as well that do, but primarily they do not. Um, and I did find this little stat that four in 10 adults under the age of 50 do believe in reincarnation. I felt like that was a high number compared with 27% of those ages 50 and older, which I think goes to your point about this younger generation who's a little, who's more interested in being more woke than we are, really yeah. opening their minds to greater possibilities. Yeah. And again, seeking answers and trying yeah. to figure out What's why about, things man? happen the way they happen. 
Yeah. I feel like I'm in a major mode of what's this all about. Yeah. I think that you're not alone. Oh, great. Because it feels kind of isolating in some ways. Yeah. The world is hard to live in right now. Really hard. It really is hard to live in. Yeah. And I think that we have to try to find a purpose because otherwise it becomes hopeless. And mundane. Like, what? Uh, Yeah. 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 Absolutely. Yeah. Well, Bean, I wondered when we were talking about this, if there was any science behind reincarnation. Me too, because I always like me some science. You do like data. So I think I mentioned when we were talking on the spooky Unsolved Mysteries episode that there is a major study going on um, at UVA, uh, University of Virginia, in their Department of Perceptual Studies. And they have, it's, it's run at the moment by Jim Tucker. He's the associate psychi- uh, psychiatry professor at UVA's Medical Center's Division of Perceptual Studies. They have 2,500 case files in their office of reports of reincarnation and past lives. In the um, United States or worldwide? No, around the world. Wow. And I mentioned this on the other episode, but usually these reports are children talking to their parents between the ages of two and six. um, And that's because he believes that children have closer access. They're not in a state of disbelief. They haven't been indoctrinated. They have memories because they're literally closer closer to those lifetimes. Um, And they provide a lot of details about these lifetimes that when he says that they research these things, what they're doing is they're going out. If, if, the, if a kid says, I grew up in a village in southern Iran, right. then they're looking into, okay, well, what are the details you're saying? Right. Do you have access to media, film, TV, books that would have shown you what southern Iran looked like in 1923? No? Okay. Then they're going to go research that village and figure out if the details match. That's how they will check mark off that one of these files is an investigated file that passes through the filter. They also looked at parents, I believe, to make sure that the parents were credible and weren't feeding the kids information. I don't know how they did that, but that's part of the process as well. Yeah, right. Um, He says that most cases are reported in countries where reincarnation is a part of the religious culture. So there is a belief there that that is possible. But he also says there's no correlation between how strong a case is deemed and that of the family's belief in reincarnation. So there are cases here in the United States where families are Catholic, Christian, and you know there's a kid who says that he was a Hollywood producer in the 30s, and sure enough, they find out all these details. Did you that see one. that story, yeah, Ryan? Yeah. yeah. Um, Even the sisters but, you were talking about in the spooky season, their parents did yeah. not and almost separated over their the one strong belief that reincarnation was impossible and the others believed that their yeah. new children were reincarnated versions of their old children. Right. Totally. Um, he says that in cases where a child's story has been traced to someone else, the median time between the death of that person and this child's birth is 16 months. Yeah. Oh, so that's yeah. interesting. Yeah. So it's almost immediately after. And then one other fact that I thought was interesting is that um but not the always. majority of not <laughs> always. The majority of these kids um uh, have shown that they have generally above average IQs. 
And um, they don't appear to be disassociating from any painful family situations. There's no trauma he can point to that would have created disassociation. What I loved was his uh, theory. So he is interviewed on um, NPR. We'll link to that in the show notes too. Okay. And they ask him in this interview about, well, what's what do you think reincarnation is? How do you explain it as a psychiatrist? And he points a lot to quantum physics and this theory that, yeah, so that at the most basic level of the universe, events um, involving its smallest particles in the universe, such as electrons and protons, only occur when they are observed. So I'm going to say that again. Quantum physics has proven that events involving the smallest particles in our universe, such as electrons and protons, only occur once they are observed. So if you go back to our manifestation episode, and I've told you that your perception is reality, this is what quantum physics is talking about. So that then suggests that the material world is derived from consciousness, Hmm. not the other way around. Not that we are perceiving something that exists, but that our perception makes it exist. And so the idea is debated. It's not that everyone agrees with this quantum theory, um, but it is this concept that consciousness creates the material world, our ability to percept it. So if consciousness is not dependent on the world occurring to exist, that means consciousness is not dependent on a body or a brain to exist. And so the idea is that if consciousness doesn't require a brain, it may continue after the brain stops working and could then get attached to a new brain and continue in another life. We are just like a bunch of meat suits being vehicles for all these consciousnesses. Exactly. Exactly. And I think that when I say the soul picks up, like then if you're looking at it through this concept of consciousness, consciousness is your soul. Right. So saying the same thing, but using a lot of quantum physics words. So I thought that was fascinating. That is fascinating. Because, you know, how do you disprove that? You can't, right? Because again, how how do you study the soul? How do you study consciousness really? But there are studies that show how our consciousness affect our reality. And so if we're perceiving something, which then makes it real, why would our consciousness not continue to go on and on and on in its perception and therefore creation of reality? And continue in other lifetimes. Since we've started this podcast like uh, 40 minutes ago, I have gone in and out of believing in reincarnation like four to five times. <laughs> so you're sold or not? Where are you I, right now? I'm like What's in between. I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to end up reading you my story of reincarnation and I'm okay. going to get back on board. Because when I read it, You'll I was be like, convinced. Yeah. I convinced myself. I'm like, this has to be real. Like there's no other. When you read these stories, you're like, there's no other explanation. Same thing with a lot of the near-death stuff. Like, there's just no other explanation. When people right, well, have stop such teasing similar- us. Okay, okay. Tell us. What okay, is the story? Okay. It's not even that amazing, but it was just fa- – everything's just so fascinating. Um, this one is about – and I know that the gentleman you were just speaking about, Dr. Jim Tucker. Tucker. Hey, Jim. Um, I think this was one of – part of his studies as well. This is about a kid named James Leininger. Um mm-hmm. 
when he was you want to say that last name again Leininger James Leininger his name is James he was born in 98 in April and when he was about 22 months old his father took him to a flight museum and he was like obsessed and he like immediately fell in love with all these airplanes I love your face when I'm telling a story (laughs) am I making the Raina lock-in face okay good you look truly engaged. That's what you look like. I know. And you know what I don't like? I don't like once a baby is past 12 months old when parents give us months. I need you to just tell me years. So this baby is almost two years old. Almost two. I had to do the math. You were seeing a math face. Math oh. is not my Oh, well, I'm sorry. That, that's so he's so almost two years old. So he's almost two years old. He goes to his flight museum. He becomes totally obsessed with airplanes. Um, and then within like a few months of that visit, he starts saying airplane crash on fire and he's slamming his toy planes together, which he now has mm-hmm. a bunch of because he got obsessed and he's slamming them into the coffee table and making dents and saying airplane on fire, airplane crash on fire. He keeps saying, um, and then he starts having nightmares and his nightmares, he's like screaming out loud and he's kicking and, and and flailing his arms about and he's saying airplane crash on fire little man can't get out i mean he has limited vocabulary because he's really little right um and his parents are freaking out obviously uh and they would get him ready to bed and then somehow he was able to verbalize that these experiences are from some previous life i have no idea how he explains that to his parents but like he makes it clear that this isn't happening now this happened like at another time uh okay And then he eventually, it keeps unfolding as he's getting a little bit older, and he does eventually, he's able to communicate that his plane had crashed on fire, and that it was shot by the Japanese, shot down by the Japanese. And Wait, this is a two-year-old saying this? Yeah, but he's now he's like over two. He's probably nearing three, and he's able to, he doesn't say it in these exact words, but he's able to verbalize enough for the parents to understand what he's saying. Um, And he's doing all this, what they consider to be post-traumatic play with his uh, compulsive play of plane crashing. So he's like, keeps doing it and keeps saying these things. And he's telling his parents that all these things are happening. Um, And then like, as time keeps going on, more details start coming out. I'm assuming as his language is developing. So he eventually then like weeks and weeks later tells his parents specifically what kind of airplane he was flying, which was called a Corsair, which was a fighter plane that was developed during World War II Um, And he talks about flying the Corsair over and over. And then when he's like close to three, he's able to then tell them he knows he flew his plane off of a boat. So he took off from a boat, right? And his parents are like, what? Tell us more. And he's able to say the name of the boat, which is called Natoma. What? Right? So he's like this little three-year-old toddling around telling his parents this crazy story. And then his father starts researching and he does find this boat called the USS Natoma Bay, which was a carrier station in the Pacific during World War II. Um, They keep asking him, like, who's this guy in your dream? Who's the little man who can't get out of the plane? And he always says to them, me or James. Well, his name is James, but he either refers to the little man as James or me because his name is also James. Um, And then his parents start asking him now that he knows like Natoma and he remembers taking off, if he can remember anybody with him, if he knows anybody who's there and he does give a name and his, the name he gives is Jack Larson. This is like a tiny little kid, right? Um, And then, so he's starting to give more details. And then one day his father, James's father bought a book for his own father. So little James's grandfather about for Christmas. And it was a book called the battle uh, for Iwo Jima in 1945. 
and they're looking through photos of it. And then James points to a picture of um, a view of the base of the island where there's like this dormant volcano. And he says, that's where my plane was shot down. Right. His dad's like, what? what? Skirt. And then he's like, yeah, my plane got shot down there, daddy. And they're, they're like, what the fudge is happening? So they end up reaching out to this uh, woman named Carol Bowman, who's like, a, she had written a book. She had written a book about reincarnation, about kids' oh, past okay. lives memories. Like, so she's okay. highly aware of it and sort of guides them to, to tell him that they know that these events had happened, but that he's now in this lifetime and he's safe and he needs to be calm because he's safe in this lifetime. So the nightmares then grow less violent and less frequent once he is told you're okay. You're here now. But he's like still drawing. T- they have like hundreds of his drawings of all these planes crashing and like exploding, wow. like tiny little baby drawings of um, planes exploding and, and fighting. Yeah. And he would sign them James three. As they figured out more about this um, boat, they learned that there was a pilot from the ship that was lost during the Battle of Iwo Jima, which was a 21-year-old from Pennsylvania named James M. Huston. So now what? they realize that he's writing James the Third because that James, the pilot, was James Jr. <gasps> so he's like the third version of James. So he's still signing his papers, James. Anyway, his father goes to... Um, I don't know what it is. It's like a reunion of Natoma Bay of the people who were on Natoma Bay. There's not like a ton of them. And that's that he learned more information. And then he did learn that that guy, James Huston was one of eight pilots who took part in a strike against the Japanese that were preparing to like bomb them or whatever. And his plane did crash almost exactly. They have like routes drawn of the plane routes from that uh, battle and the plane route is cr- the last like point they have him at basically is where James pointed to in that picture of where he did crash. Stop. He was able to give details about James's family life before that they ended up confirming with James Huston's sister in a phone conversation, stuff like he knew about their parents and stuff. Um, he also just had like tons of knowledge. Oh, they did find, uh, let me go back to that part where they found Oh, he, they did that name that he said when he went to that reunion, that other man was a friend of the pilot who died. So he wasn't what? in the plane with him, but he was one of his friends from whatever that battalion is. Anyway, he had tons of information about World War II planes and stuff about Natoma Bay that like there's no way he could have had any information. I think that gentleman always, like you said, goes through and facts checks everything. So yeah. they were able to confirm that um, – he said everything before he was four. He gave all of this information that he shared before he was four, before he could even learn to read. So there's no way that he read any of that information about World War II planes. Um, there are no published materials about James Huston anyway. So there's no way that he could have read or heard or seen anything or his parents could have fed it to him because there's no information about this guy. Um, no programs, no television programs. The family ended up writing like a book and... There's more. Wow. I think ABC did some sort of special on it. I know. So after I read that, I'm like, hells yeah. Like, there's no way this isn't real. Otherwise, I was going to ask you, what does your cynical mind have to say about him knowing where the plane crashes or him describing like the parents that are long past? No idea. And when I read it, I'm like, there's no way. Like, this is absolutely real. There's no other explanation. I'm curious what true cynics, like, because I'm open to whatever. I'm curious what true cynics would say about this. Yeah. 
Well, I did see in one of the articles about this UVA whole department that they do ask other cynics, psychiatrists, and they say that it's these kids just see memory. They see mementos like this kid that went to a museum and he like remembers the mementos or he overhears his parents talking. But I'm like, but how do you describe him saying names that the parents don't find out till after he says the name or a location? Yeah. That's what I I want to know. Where are they You know what I always say to you about cynicism? What? Which is that it's an aspect of you that's trying to protect you from hope. Yeah, totally. So it works. it's really it's really important to engage with that aspect and be like, what are you trying to protect me from right now? Why are you so focused on me not believing in this thing? What are you worried right. I'll be hopeful about? Yeah, just think what about are that. You what I don't know. I don't know the answer. Bean, that was a really really good story. It that, was? I mean, I, I think feel like that I that's missed a bunch of details, but thanks. You can't even argue that story. I know. I'm not arguing it. It's crazy. Yeah. Like, what? It's crazy, man. You know what, Jim Tucker? You are doing good work over there in UVA, and we appreciate that you're good devoting job, your life to studying reincarnation. Okay, well, I wanted to say one more thing before we end this episode. Please. There is a lot of people out there that are certified in past life regression therapy. I want to do it. I want to do it too. And I found a woman who you can do it with who has all of these. Yeah, I'll send you. I'll, maybe you and I should try it. Yeah. She um, has all of these testimonials. I read like an article in O Magazine and New York Times. Well, then people it's got to be done real. It. It's got to be real if Oprah says. <laughs> um, you know what I think about that. Um, but uh, she helps you resolve current stuff by doing hypnosis. And a lot of people do this and psychotherapists have been trained in this too. So past life regression is a gentle form. This is what is said out there um, of uh, hypnotherapy, sorry, which will take you back through time to previous lives or incarnations by accessing memories and experiences that are normally hidden in the subconscious mind. Life today is so busy and noisy, and these memories are usually concealed beneath the noise of everyday thoughts. A past life regression session guides you out of the noise and into a deeply quiet and peaceful state where it's far easier to locate the memories. And they say that it can help you reconnect with past life experiences, understand why you feel a connection to certain places or people, explore your past life and your current soulmate experiences, identify physical ailments you have that might have something to do with a remnant of a past life, and explore unresolved emotions that you've carried through into this lifetime, creating fear or beliefs that you can't explain. Wow. Um, so there's a lot of people who have tried this and have found past lives that have helped them solve things for themselves. Current mysteries. I think mine, I mean, the story I told you about Ainsley and my relationship with Keon yeah. um, and the guilt I feel about not being there for him when I'm constantly around this kid really was super healing for me because it helped wow. me drop the guilt. Um, anyway, there's a 20 minute hypnotherapy thing like that I'm going to link in the show notes that you can listen to, close your eyes. And it's a past life regression session that you can try to do on your own um, and see what comes up for you. But I thought that was really fascinating. All right. Is it with this person that you're talking about? Yeah. Yeah. I found it on YouTube. Oh, cool. Cool. I'm going to do it. I think we should both do it and report back. Okay. I will. All right. Bean, my cynical bestie, what's your Melissa's takeaway? My takeaway is this. I just it just hit me. It's really good. Um, yeah. <laughs> is that no matter what is real, 
why not live as though you are trying to grow and expand your soul either way, right? Like, why can't we be here to better understand each other, understand why we're here, understand our purpose, even if we are, it is finite and it's just in this lifetime and there's no such thing as souls going and coming back and doing whatever. Why not try to expand yourself to the maximum capacity in this lifetime? Why not? Right? Beautiful. Stopping you. Yeah, thanks. Bean, there's nothing else to say. I think we end it right there. That was well said. Cut it off. Don't even say bye. (laughs) Well, I love talking to you about reincarnation, as you can tell. I do too. I really do. I, I really think it expands my mind every time. It gives me like, it moves me a little further away from my cynicism and makes me think differently than I normally would. I hope you guys who are listening also feel a little expanded by this. Yeah, thanks for listening today, guys. Bye. Bye. This has been another episode of Signal, the podcast that raises your frequency. This podcast is co-hosted by me, Maury Fontanez, and Melissa Grushka. Special thanks to my production team, Anushri Thekadet, Arman Kassam, and Anais Islami. Don't forget to join us next week for another episode. See you then.